Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Contractor Evolution. I am very excited because my guest on the show today is Dan Martell, award-winning entrepreneur, investor, and author. Dan has founded five separate tech companies and successfully exited from three. He's also the guy behind SaaS Academy, a program that teaches tech founders how to scale their businesses and stage and exit. You've probably seen some of their clips, some of their content on LinkedIn or, or YouTube. They, they do a great job with their brand. And you might be wondering, what is a tech guy doing on Contractor Evolution? I'll tell you. Since his new book, Buy Back Your Time, was released last year, I've had at least 10 separate Breakthrough Academy members ask me to have him on. And when I read it, I understood why. Because buy back your time is an antidote to the time-sucking and stress-inducing nature of entrepreneurship. Through beautiful diagrams, personal stories, and sage wisdom, it offers a pragmatic and deeply intuitive path to avoid building a business you grow to hate. And that's a scenario many entrepreneurs sadly find themselves in. Dan's personal life story is a wild one, and we start the conversation there, so I don't want to spoil it, but the meat of the interview is focused on the core framework from his book called The Buyback Principle. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice we're out of our typical studio for this one. Dan was gracious enough to let me interview him in his studio in Kelowna, where we both live. This was an absolute banger episode, guys. I really hope you enjoy it. Oh, and buy the book. It's linked in the description. You're watching Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Dan, thanks so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate you. It's an honor, Benji. I appreciate you uh, coming to Kelowna and you know, give me the chance to share about my favorite topic in the world. I live here. We get to do a podcast together in our hometown. It's That's awesome. There, yeah. Um, the opening chapter of the book is quite graphic. There's uh there's a, there's a car chase. There's a gun. It's 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 pretty gripping. Um, do you want to maybe just tell for our listeners who aren't familiar with your story, uh, you know, your less than linear, less not so traditional path to success. Yeah, I mean, it's a great it's a great question, Benji. I mean, what's interesting about that story specifically when I opened it up in the book is um I didn't share that with anybody for about 15 years. There was a lot of shame, uh concern. Obviously, my family is still alive and I didn't really want to kind of make, you know, air their dirty laundry, but I grew up in a really challenging environment where, you know, I'm the second oldest of four. My mom was an alcoholic, my dad was in sales, so he traveled a lot. So, I had a lot of time on my hands, you know. We grew up in kind of in the woods. And um, I got diagnosed with ADHD when I was 11. And pretty much from that point on, I always believed that there was something wrong with me, mm -hmm. like that my brain was broken. I got put on Ritalin. I hated the way it made me feel. I didn't want to take it. And, you know, not long after that, I ended up, you know, acting out, had anger issues, you know, not listening in class, ended up, I think, at 12 years old, taken out of my home, put into foster care. So, like, my, my life was you know, chaotic to mm. say the least. And just got to a place where eventually I ended up getting introduced to drugs and then my whole life kind of spiraled out of control. I uh, I ended up, um, you know, ended up in prison the first time when I was 15, got out, said I was gonna change my life. I lasted less than 24 hours. I mean, literally back with the same group of friends. And then eventually um, things just got crazier and crazier until eventually one point my brother calls me and tells me, don't come home, the cops are waiting for you. So I decide to essentially go on the run. I ended up stealing a car. I was drunk and I was high and decided I'm gonna head to Montreal. And um, I was on the highway and I took a, a, you know, an exit to get some gas and there was a routine roadblock and the police were just checking driver's license and insurance and I ended up gunning it. Like Through. just took off, yeah. 
and ended up in a high-speed chase. And next to me, I had a handgun and a backpack because I said to myself, if the cops stopped me, I was gonna, I was gonna pull the gun. And I ended up, you know, racing through a neighborhood and saw an open garage door and pulled into the driveway with way too much speed and ended up crashing in the side of the house. And in that moment, I went for the gun. And it's crazy recounting that because I just remembered like this, I just remembered this, this, like, this is it. Mm. I'm done. Pull the gun, point at the cops. And this is a scene straight out of cops. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, I, I, I don't think it happens every day, but like, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on in our world that most people don't see. Mm -hmm. And what's gnarly, and, and the reason I share this story today is for 15 years, I never told a soul. Really? That's what's crazy. That's what this most, was private until quite recently. It was private till about a decade ago. I was ashamed of it. I didn't talk about it. I got, so was, long story short, I got out, ended up getting sentenced to prison, adult prison, spent six months in the worst freaking situation ever. Where? Uh, it's called St. John Regional Correctional Center. So um, they had two juvenile cell blocks that they set up, but it was an adult prison structure, you know, jail cells, that whole thing. Ended up, you know, having an intervention with a guard, this guy named Brian, who sat me down and essentially said, you don't belong here. He like, saw something in you. He saw something in me that I didn't even believe existed. I mean, I felt like there was, there's like feeling not good about yourself. And then there's feeling like you don't deserve to take space in society. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I was at. And uh, luckily he pulled me aside and he shared those words and it cracked me wide open. It, it kind of planted a seed of of just potential of anything. Like I, I just was like, you know, if Brian believes this and there's gotta be a bigger um, reason and ended up getting out doing 11 months in a rehab center. And that was a place that like kind of rebuilt who I was, mm. my my values, my energy, my relationship that I I'd obviously fractured with my family, my brothers, my sisters. And uh, it was hard. It was, there was moments where I remember one time I almost, oh, I ran away for sure, but there was this like very, like crazy situation where one of the other residents and I was the older member. I'd been there for probably seven, eight, nine months at the time. And they pushed the button and I almost threw the whole thing away. Like call the sheriffs, pick me up. I'm going back. I don't want to deal with this. And luckily um, some great people kind of walked me off the ledge, but yeah, it was, it, it wasn't a guaranteed outcome. Did you more or less find your, find your way, get traction, however you want to frame it after that, after that 11 month, uh, rehab then like was it was it, it was it a was it a straight no. and up into the right graph no. after that no I mean this is this I'm an open book right I understand there's like there's a narrative that makes sense for a great story yeah totally yeah they're like you need readers moment? What yeah, did yeah, happen? yeah it's like look at the end of that I did discover programming okay which was crazy so I'm helping Rick the maintenance guy clean out one of the cabins been there for 11 months never touch a computer in my life walk into one of the rooms and there was this old 486 computer and a yellow book on Java programming. Like that makes no sense to me. Yeah, it's a little, uh, to call it it's a fantastical. Like it's right. just like. You don't think what? it's a coincidence? I think God has been looking out for me my whole life. So I believe in that. It was like, a, it was like backlit and like, it was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> he just like went and read it. And, he, he, and even like, it was as if David, I still remember, I like re read this book and followed, you know, chapter one. And it just, the computer said, hello world. Yeah. And that, Something spoke to me about that, um, and I just leaned into it. There was no big reason to it, you know. Some people just forget the first time they ever did the thing that became the thing, but I don't because it was like, you know, I came out and told my dad, and he's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I really want to do computer programming." He's like, "Okay." Like, obviously, your son's into that. I was into plants, as you can imagine, why? Mm. So it was like botany or computers. He's like, "Well, you can have a garden." As a hobby, I think you should really lean into this computer thing. This is 1997. So I get out and discovered this small little thing called the internet. Mm -hmm. And really the, the rest of history. I mean, I've built and exited three software companies. I've invested in over 100 plus. Today yeah, I, mean, I buy software companies. Like full. Think about the, 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 the botany that the world is missing that could have we could have had. <laughs> well, you've been around the office. The plant game the isn't plant. as strong as it will be, but trust me, well, my 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 studio office we're building out here. The houseplant market apparently is booming. That might be something it to should. look we're, into. We're, we're going to be, my rule for my... D2C e-com for, yeah, for houseplants. I want to be obnoxious with the amount of plants we have in here. Uh, okay, so, so like, 
we can chalk this up to maybe like a rough around the edges childhood and teenage years and whatever. And um, have you thought about like some of the things from that part of the story that you're really like, what are facets of it that you're really grateful for? Where you're like, Hey, I'm really good at business or life because of this thing that I learned from this maybe atypical upbringing. And then maybe what are some other patterns that you sort of have to, you've had to unlearn? So this is a, this is a great question. My drive, intensity, obsession, um, self-awareness of knowing that I can handle anything, um, the, the don't give a crap about what other people think of me, and a bunch of other characteristics is exactly why I'm successful in business. Now, with, with, with all the uh, character aspects that are positive in regards to a business context, in the wrong context, they turn into a real challenge, okay? So being driven is great. Learning how to turn it off is required. Did not have that gear, did not. So like all the success I had in business, it still took me a while. It took me seven years. I had two failed companies before I ever had any, before I ever made money. Like, mm -hmm. like people don't get it. I just started young. I'm 17, I get out, I'm sober. Boom, I get into business, failed company, try again, failed again kept at it. My dad was like, maybe you should get a normal job. I'm like, no way. Zero. I'm unemployable. I refuse to do it. I would rather be homeless. Like this is how crazy. Again, I had nothing to lose. It was the biggest gift I ever got was the fact that nobody expected Dan Martell to do anything with his life. Mm -hmm. Do you know how freaking freeing that is? Totally. Dude, I meet kids. Every, I was, I can with a kid this morning. He's 17. He's like, I'm going to build a hundred million a year company by the time I'm 30. I'm like, dude, do you know how much pressure that is? Like, do you know what I was doing at 17? Yeah. I wasn't hiking with a bunch of entrepreneurs. Like, dude, chill out a little bit, relax. Anyways, it was, it was all that stuff, but then I had to unlearn, I had to work on it. So I believe that every person, as they go through life, they pick up trauma, they pick up chaos, they pick up challenges. And to the degree that you work through those things called personal development, you will unlock new levels of opportunity and growth. So I mm. finally had business success at 24 but that did not mean I had life success. At 27, I was engaged, my fiance left me, mm -hmm. okay? And that was really a big wake-up call for, for the book. Um, but, I, but I had every other character defect. When people meet me today, I, I wish I could have recorded my whole life so they could literally see how insecure I was, how angry I was. Yeah, maybe I was sober, but a lot of people get sober and they're called- they're A dry called drunk. So, a dry drunk, you know this, okay? Yeah. And I was that. I didn't know any other way. Like I just had a way of being. So I had over the years to work through that. So all the positives came from it. That's why I have no regrets, but I definitely see, oh, I even, even Benji this year, Dan Martell sitting here is not the same Dan Martell from a year ago. Mm -hmm. I'm just not. I literally wake up with intention every day to try to be better so I can see my thoughts and my ideas. And when people say that, they're like, but you're the same person. Think of it this way. Take the best parts of you and amplify them and take the worst parts of you and remove them. Mm -hmm. right? So the bad habits, the little mindset things, all those things over the years, what happens is as you get older, if you've do, done this long enough, like I've been doing it, like they're not as dramatic, but trust me, like when I finally found business success and that afforded me the resources to hire coaches and go to seminars and yeah. read books, I, I went in, I'm all in. But yeah, there was a lot of things that it gave me and a lot of things that it required me to overcome what there's a there'll be a lot of our listeners who also maybe have a, a checkered past let's say and they're dealing like what you just said i'm dealing with anger i'm dealing with some diagnosed or undiagnosed adhd i'm dealing with some shame I, i'm sober now but i've got this this whole thing like what did you find useful in the journey to um how do you process through that put it into a healthy place so that you can get back to being the person that you're destined to be because i think a lot of our listeners have either done that or they're in, in the midst of it. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different parts to it. I will tell you the simplest thing that I do today that anybody, no matter where they're at, can implement into their life is the idea of reflecting on their previous day. Like if you just wake up today, Benji, and you go, what aspect of yesterday, if I think through the day, that I wasn't happy I did? You know, maybe you go like, oh, well, I knew I shouldn't have had that dessert and I had that dessert. Cool, today, don't eat dessert. Right. Or, you know what? I screamed at one of our suppliers. You know what? Today, don't scream at a supplier. Yeah. Or I dragged my feet on making a decision. I should have made that decision. Today, make the decision. It sounds so simple, but you get 365 shots on goal to be better. 
Every year. Every year, and it compounds. So over time, if you go from somebody who's passive about life, mm -hmm. and now they're more active about life, somebody that avoids conflict, and now you're more direct, like you just keep figuring out who do you need to become to achieve that next level? And that at the end of the day, what I've learned about personal development is the world doesn't get easier. Benji, this is this is the biggest, like, I hope everybody can just hear this. Who you are today, if you have more success, is because you have grown into this person to deal with challenges. The challenges are still there. They just don't put you on tilt. Mm -hmm. Like some, I used to get put on tilt for the dumbest reasons, mm -hmm. dude. Somebody didn't reply to an email fast enough. That bothered you. Holy moly. I would, I couldn't sleep at night. Why didn't they reply? Are they mad at me? Like the amount of, 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 you know, I always say worry is a wasted use of your imagination. The amount of creative things that I made up in my mind that I worried about that now I like when I, I wish I could like allow people in my brain. Mm. I don't worry about anything, Benji. Mm. I just assume it's happening exactly the way it's supposed to happen. This exact same pace. And I can wake up and I love that thought and I get to choose it. So I choose to focus on so many different things about life, about opportunity, about gratitude. I mean, here's another one you didn't ask, but I think it's one of the most powerful ideas in the world. Okay. I believe that if we're not grateful for the things we have, we will not be given more things to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. Simple concept. So I always tell people, if you meet my kids, you can test them. You can ask them. Ask them about the gratitude list. Everybody should make a list of things they're grateful for. And I'm talking about the simplest thing. There might've been a, my life, there was a point where I was in prison. I am free today. Mm -hmm. I'm going to write that down almost every time. I'm going to write down the time, you know, I have food today. I know where I'm going to be able to eat. That is a simple yet profound thing for me. I'm grateful for those things. So I have a list of everything I'm grateful for. Then I always tell people, make a list of the things that they want their want list, their desires. Mm. Here's what I've learned about life. If you're grateful for what you have, life will give you more things to be grateful for. And these two lists over time merge. Mm -hmm. And that's what people don't get. Okay. They complain about their car, but they want the new car. Right. You won't get the new car. They complain about their spouse. They don't have a better spouse. They don't have a better partner. They don't have a better marriage. They complain about whatever. You know, I don't have enough money. Guess what? I, I know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get more money. Mm -hmm. Until you can handle what life's given you, mm -hmm. you won't get anything more. Mm -hmm. So there's all these things that I've learned over the years. It's why I coach some of the highest performing people in the world today. Like literally in the world, if out there in business and in coaching, I coach them. Because over the years, I had to work through all this stuff myself, find the tools, find the strategies that just cut through the noise. And it actually works mm -hmm. like immediately, fast. Let's let's talk about some of the. Um, that's a really good segue, I think, into some of the stuff in the book that I wanted to ask you about. There's a in one of the early chapters, maybe it's the first. You talk about this idea of chaos addiction. So, what's chaos addiction? How does it fit into the overall entrepreneurial journey? Yeah. So, I think entrepreneurs are uniquely most entrepreneurs grew up with some level of chaos, mm -hmm. right? They went through something in their life that created challenges, and what happens is the person who can deal with a level of uncertainty, a high level of uncertainty, they're, they're perfect for entrepreneurship. Because if you think about it, that's the definition of entrepreneurs. Somebody who can deal with a high level of uncertainty. Every day they wake up and they don't know how they're gonna make money. Mm -hmm. They don't know if they're gonna get paid. Most people can't go paycheck to paycheck without freaking the frick out. Do you understand that? Mm -hmm. Like 99% of the population, maybe 95%, have to know Where's my next paycheck coming from? And then there's this weird population of people we call entrepreneurs or business owners. Who just don't care. They just are comfortable not knowing. Yeah. And what they do is they've built this trust in themselves. But what happens is that chaos becomes normal, okay? And when you're building the business, especially when you're starting, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of things that are challenging for a lot of entrepreneurs. They love that. I get it. It's the the unknown. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's very dynamic. It's... It's, there's a lot of different things. It's diverse. The challenge is, is that as you start to grow, as you get to your first million in revenue, especially when you get to your second million in revenue, all of that has to flip because the business owner who thrives in chaos creates chaos. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this happen so many times when things are going good in the business, 
Okay. Maybe the quarter was awesome. Everything's, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. the projects are going sure. and the team is happy. Closed it, a bunch of deals, finished some stuff on time. And yeah. some reviews are piling in. You're feeling, oh, you're feeling pretty good. You know what the entrepreneur does? They, they, grab, screw something they grab a hand grenade, yeah. an emotional hand grenade, a project hand grenade, and they pull the pin and they lob it and they drop it into their team. They come in and they say, we're expanding to a new city. We're changing our, our vendors. We're building a new website. We're doing all these things because things are right now easy mm. and it's not normal. I'm not saying don't change things. Don't look to improve stuff. Have a process for doing that within the construct of your rhythms, your process, your strategic planning, for sure. It's the folks that get addicted to the chaos. Not only that, some people, it could be the chaos could be, you know, um, drinking too much. It could be self-medicating. It could be arguing with people. It could be the, the emotional shrapnel you create by the way you talk to folks. Like it doesn't have to be just a business change, but it's self-inflicted. Mm -hmm. Like most entrepreneurs don't stop to go, what's, chaotic in my life, make a list and go, how much of that did I create? Do you think it's operating through entrepreneurs on a subconscious level? Like you use the word chaos addiction. Is it the same as drug addiction or like depending on your philosophy towards it, where it's like, this is actually like this thing, this addiction for chaos almost has its own agency and sort of operates through me. I'm not even aware that I'm dropping these hand grenades, but I clearly am. Yeah. I don't know if it's an addiction. I think it's a a default state that feels normal, mm. right? Mm -hmm. and right. That's yeah. that's their resting state. Yes, they're what I call an emotional home. Okay, so okay. every person has this emotional home they they come back to, and unfortunately, entrepreneurs that have that have experienced chaos that are okay with dealing with uncertainty, they create an emotional home that is chaotic. Like, do you have any these friends that just always seem to get in fights? Yeah, totally. It's fascinating for yeah. me to watch. They're like, oh, yeah, I got in a fight last week. I'm like, what? Um, just so you know, that's not normal. Yeah, no, okay, no. I'm a grown man and I haven't been in a fight in a decade. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, there's abnormal and normal, and they don't realize that it's the way they're showing up in this world and the places they put themselves that are creating these outcomes. I think the same thing happens for entrepreneurs. They're like magnetized to it. I know that's really funny you say that. Like most people in the modern, you know, in Canada here, like most, I think most people are not in fights all the time, but everyone has a couple of friends who are in one a month. Yeah, or, or, or it's a verbal fight. They're always in a bad relationship. They're always drinking too much. Like they do a thing that feels super normal for them, but they don't realize it's an abnormal behavior yeah. that's stunting their growth forward. So this um, Buy Back Your Time book is a really, really solid, highly visual, highly practical, quick to implement kind of um, thought piece on let's say time and priority management and really getting the most out of yourself and the 168 hours you have every week. Now you mentioned at the beginning, your brother's a, a home builder. Mm. And so you know this audience pretty well. Like what's, Very well, yeah. anyone would say time and priority management is a fundamental to success. But when you think about this sort of blue collar entrepreneur archetype, this type of business owner, is there any additional context you'd, you'd give to this conversation? Like, why is it so incredibly important for them? Yeah. Well, first off, people that are required to do the work to get, like some industries where you have a business, you actually, the owner doesn't do the work, right? Like most restaurateurs don't necessarily cook, cook. the food. Mm. What's unique about a home builder, from my understanding, and I have several friends in Kelowna, they're home builders. My brother's home builder. I know a lot of them. I've known some of the biggest ones in Canada is that the, when they start off, they're the ones that are on site. They're the ones for the, I mean, maybe my brother framed the houses when he first started, right? That's he pretty was, typical. Yeah, he was framing the houses. He was doing a lot of the, you know, the, the, you know, the drywall stuff and he was helping out. And so he's very hands-on, he's doing the work. The challenge is if you actually look at what grows the business, it's not doing the work. Mm -hmm. What grows the business is talking to a customer. It's making sure you've got a great supplier lined up for products. You have your, your chain, your, your trades, uh, lined up. You, 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 you're focusing on procuring land or working with real estate agents to make sure that there's land available for new customer projects. You're figuring out how do you help a customer get rid of a home so that they could buy your new home and, and make a decision. Like there's all these other things that have nothing to do with actually like building of the home and that's unique. And mm -hmm. I think what happens is people in the trades industry, and this is really for like local home services even, 
you know, lawn care, et cetera, the, they've grown up with mental uh, beliefs around money, around time. You think so? Oh, oh dude, all of them. Um, if you want it done right, do it yourself. Um, you know, it, it, there's just so many. It's like even the belief of like, if you're the owner, you should do this, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, last one to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, all these things, like they're like, I would just ask people to audit themselves. Like, what are some money beliefs that you were taught as a child that even you've caught yourself doing, right? Or even just investing in their time. Most business owners and definitely people that are in trades don't value their time mm -hmm. because the last time they were paid to swing a hammer, they were paid $26 or $42 as a plumber or whatever it is. So they think that's what their time's worth. Yeah. So they would never pay somebody else $28 to do something because that's a lot of money when they could just do it themselves and save $28. They don't look at their time through that lens of like, no, no, there's the enterprise value of what you creating this business engine is worth, not the individual cost, right? And I just think that's that's just a unique thing to the, the trades in the home building industry specifically. The other thing that I think is uh, really important to remember is how incredibly like, tethered to reality they are compared to when you work in the tech space and i'm not saying fires don't erupt in your line of business of course they do but when you're working on a building and you have a pipe burst or you have something a concrete pour that goes sideways or you have there's st there's stuff in reality that you can zero. reach out and yes. right yeah. right that you can reach out and touch that are major major screw-ups that actually often pull you from the game that you should be playing phone calls strategic planning building out a marketing system to like this lower level thing that you have to go and deal with because if this well, you got six people waiting to right, the drywall up like in the frame your hands are tied like you yeah. have to go and do this so it's like i think there's that means for these business owners compared to others is actually an even more pronounced need for rigorous, like systematic approach to time management, defending those calendar blocks so that you can do the really important stuff, being able to run out and put out a fire when you need to, but then knowing, hey, this is the thing that I need to reschedule because I've been veered off course and I got to do it. So I, I, all I'm, this is a long-winded way of saying, I think for, for builders, you know, plumbers, for uh, someone that owns a landscaping business, someone that owns a roofing business, it's like especially important. Yeah. So um, and I think that's why a lot of people ask me to, to track you down and do this interview. Cause like, you got to get this Dan Martell guy on. We love, we love buyback your time. So, so tell us about, um, tell us about the buyback principle and tell us about the buyback loop. Yeah. So the buyback principle states this, and this is where people are going to get a little, once they hear it, I'm like, you know, suspend disbelief for a second. Okay. You don't hire people to grow your business. You hire people to buy back your time. It's a calendar over capacity problem. Cause if you do the first hire people to grow your business, you don't get the second. And if you do the second, you get the first. How so? And how are those two things different? They're completely different. If I'm, if I run a logo design company, I'm going to hire another logo designer. What you should do is look at your calendar and say, what am I doing that is not logo design right. and have people support you on everything else that's not logo design because that is your core business. Right. So when I think of a home builder, and trust me, I loved work. My brother, he was my business partner. I didn't tell him many people, but I actually, like I was his business partner. So we would meet daily about this stuff. So we had to create all these systems to make sure he was focused on the business of building homes, not getting pulled into being a fighter, firefighter, mm -hmm. okay? So what does that mean? It means, first off, Pierre, you need an executive assistant. Do you realize how hard he pushed? Dude, he pushed on me so hard. I don't need an executive assistant. I need, an, I need somebody that's a site supervisor. I said, no, you don't. You're the site supervisor, ding dong. Mm. You know how to do this. You manage it. Have somebody else go run around, pick up stuff for you. Why are you spending two, three days a week, literally two or three days a week, running errands, buying stuff, purchasing things, like just the weirdest things mm -hmm. they would do. And you actually audit your calendar. Okay, for time and energy, you'd find the weirdest thing that people accept themselves to do. Taking photos on sites, it's like, dude, you don't need to do any of that. You need to go make sure the trades are lined up, the work's being done right, and then all the social media stuff, all the purchasing stuff, all the invoices. We created this crazy cool system where it was like a color coding timestamp process where we knew based on what the average phases of a home build is, right? Then we broke it down to seven. How much money should we been should we have been invoiced by our trades 
to have a red, green, yellow if the construction draws. And you know, all this, yeah. like, dude, I had totally. to learn about construction. I didn't want to learn it, yeah. but I'm just a systems guy. So so that that part is where people don't get it, is they shouldn't hire folks to do more of the work. First, they should buy back their time because they're the experts. Right. And only once you've filled up that capacity in regards to administrative, even hiring a runner. I mean, literally some of these people should just hire somebody that goes out around the sites all day, ask people what they need, go make the purchases so that the people that need to be on site doing the work stay on site mm -hmm. and do the work. Um, and then you work your way backwards, but it's always through the lens of your calendar. So that's the buyback principle. So, but this is a really important distinction because a lot of people would sort of you know, listen to podcasts, read books, go to conferences, and they'd be, they'd get all this messaging about who they ought to hire next. So you want to grow, you need to hire a marketing person, you need to hire a salesperson, you need to hire an estimator, you need to hire a project manager. And it's not to say that all that is wrong necessarily, but they're thinking about it in terms of nodes on the system that is their org chart. I got to go plus, plus, plus. Not wrong, but what you're saying is Secret. forget about that. Just literally look at the calendar and see where the lowest leverage crap is and then just pay someone to do that and sort of like like rinse and repeat until- it's literally the buyback loop, right? right? The buyback loop states we should do a time and energy audit. So step one is audit. What is that? So, so the buyback loop is essentially what you do when you feel pain. So most entrepreneurs get to a point where they're actually successful but they feel the the pain. And what I've learned a long time ago is entrepreneurs will not grow into pain. So the mission I'm on is to help entrepreneurs build businesses they don't grow to hate. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the people that shut down, it's not because the market wasn't there, is they did built their business in a way they didn't know any better and they decide I'm gonna shut it down. This hurts, I don't wanna do this anymore. So what the buyback loop is, is essentially the antidote to that. And once you feel the pain line, then you go through this three-step process and that's how you spin forward, okay? Mm -hmm. So the first step is audit. We have to look at our calendar and audit it for the last two weeks on time and energy. The second step is transfer. Take everything that's low cost to pay somebody to do that you hate doing and you give that to somebody else, you transfer it to them, okay? So most people that are starting businesses don't know how to delegate. Mm -hmm. Benji, they literally don't know how to teach somebody how to do something. So let's start with some low stake stuff. Right. Do I want to do I want to delegate somebody managing a home build for me as my first hire, or do I want to hire somebody that can manage running do an inbox? Yeah, yeah, inbox. Yeah, purchasing stuff on the internet right. for me. Let's start low stakes, and then the the third part of the buyback loop is fill. Is once I get this time back, what do I then reinvest it in? Because some people waste it. They buy back the time, and then they just they just do drag their. Oh my gosh, it's wasteful. I I honestly have. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> It's, it, it gets to me because I'm like, look, your job is to create an empire. And an empire is a life of unlimited creation you never have to retire from. That's why we start businesses is to have the financial freedom for our families. So if you get an hour back, two hours back, three hours back a day, mm -hmm. you should know exactly what you're going to do with those three hours to become a better version of you so that you can grow the business. This method has baked into it the idea that you, the entrepreneur, fundamentally will know what's best to do next. You're giving yourself time under the assumption that you'll know how to deploy that time in the way that facilitates growth. And so that's that's where it's like, hey, you know what, at, at this, and I'm sure you think about this in terms of rungs or tiers, yep. at entry level, I'm hiring a, an executive assistant, maybe a few years in the future, I'm hiring an estimator, maybe a few years in the future, I'm hiring someone else. But is it safe to assume that pretty much, like, do you still do this in your business? Three times a year. I just did it two weeks ago. Right. So it doesn't change. Like this, this works at scale. It's a principle. These are first principles. Okay. I'm, I'm a software physics guy. Yeah. This is this is a methodology that you can follow. It's how I've scaled all my companies. That's why I wrote this book. I wrote the book to buy back my time because people will come to me and Keep they, asking go, you? <laughs> they go, how do you, how do you do all this? Like literally, and I get it because if you've never seen it, it looks crazy. Like a lot. Dude, I did 13 podcasts, ran an Ironman, went to an NBA game, ran a two-day event. I mean, the the stuff I've done, and that was in a four-day period. Mm -hmm. Who was the NBA game? Phoenix against whoever. I'm not even a basketball guy, but trailblazers. <laughs> What's the drip matrix? Yeah, the drip matrix is essentially a process for you to think about how to fill your time, right? So... The, the drip matrix is essentially time, like lights you up and makes you money. Those are the quadrants. Yep. So those are the axes. Yeah. So, so essentially you're in the bottom left quadrant for most people, right? I'm doing stuff I don't love to do. It doesn't make me a lot of money. We all want to end up in the top right corner, which is produce. Okay. That's the P in the drip. 
The bottom left is delegate, okay? We have to just stop doing things that somebody else can do that we can pay them very little and that, that you know, we don't enjoy doing. So for most people, bookkeeping is one of those things they don't probably don't light them up mm -hmm. and it don't cost a lot to pay somebody else to do. Cleaning your own house would be in that same bucket. I don't know many people that absolutely get, oh, we're cleaning my house today. Really excited about that. And it makes some money. It doesn't, right? So that's the bottom left quadrant and that's the easy stuff. But then we move up to the, on top of that, which is the, the, uh, our part, which is replace. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's the replacement ladder. Mm -hmm. So when you say, well, you know, this is assuming people know what to do at the time they bought back. I give them the methodology in chapter five, which is start with the admin, right? Look at the calendar. Where's the time and energy being sucked in. Then we go to delivery, right? Then we go to marketing. Then we go to sales Then we go to leadership. Mm. So there is a methodology for which core components of your business you should do. There is actually a hierarchical yeah, approach to it. Because, okay. because like it's what is the least amount of investment dollars to get the next biggest swath of time back out of our calendar. That's why we start with admin because it's the lowest cost to get the most time. Then we go to delivery, which is, okay, we want to work with our clients, the account management side, whatever it is, that, that's a low cost to have a lot more time back. Then we focus on marketing. Then we focus on sales and we focus on leadership. So that's the replace side. So that's the D in the drip, right? So that stuff will uh, make you more money, but may not light you up as much. There's still things in there you're doing that you'd rather not do, but you got to earn the right to wake up every day doing things you love doing and makes you a lot of money, okay? Mm -hmm. That's what my life looks like today. I didn't start there. Mm -hmm. I had to earn my stripes. I had to put in the time. The right side is invest. That's the I in drip. Invest is what you invest your time to grow. See, most people wish the world was easier. I'm saying you need to be better. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get easier. You need to invest in becoming the person who can deal with a bigger team, who can understand marketing, who could lead an agency to do marketing for you, who can, um, who can do strategic planning, who can do all the stuff that right now you can't do. You need to go invest and build these skills up. And as you do that, you get to work your way up that kind of the ladder and to the right of the quadrant until you'll wake up. And it's not far away. Benji, I have clients that start with me and within three months they get there. Because it's only four or five hires. Yeah. Okay. They just need to give themselves permission to hire in that sequence. But you will wake up where everything in your calendar, it's not 10 hour days, it's seven hour days, six hour days, but a good six hours, like a really thoughtful six hours. And everything on there are things that you love doing that actually move the business forward. And when you get to that place, that is what an empire is, a life of unlimited creation you never have to retire from. There's no retiring from being me. I'm doing exactly what I want to do, who I want to do it with. And I've just given myself permission to continuously audit my calendar for that. This idea of what lights you up is stitched in throughout the book. And I wonder why that's so such a big part of your your thinking on this, because there'd be another there'd be a competing school of thought. And yeah. they'd say, you know, you sometimes business is hard. You gotta do stuff you don't love and you gotta and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with this more traditional approach of working on your weaknesses or sucking it up and get, you know, doing stuff that you hate to, can, can you put a finer point on this? Like why, why is moving towards things that quote unquote light you up so fundamental to your framework for success? Because if you, I'm all for doing hard things. Okay. I did a 50 K ultra this year. Nobody made me do it. Nobody asked me to do it. I chose to do it. Every day I do things that I know are hard and they're short term, got to get it done to earn the right to get to the next level. The challenge is if you keep doing things that are hard, if you have a belief that business has to be hard or it's not working. Some people literally think I ha it has to be hard and I'm telling you that's not normal, okay? It can be hard in the short term, but if you get better, it gets easier. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm so adamant for people to honor the fact that whatever they find easy, they should do more of, or whatever they enjoy doing, they should do more of, is because I don't want them to wake up in five, six, seven years and shut it down. Right. And that is what happens. Okay. So businesses don't fail. It's not like they wake up and they go bankrupt. Sure, that happens. Yeah. But if I look at like the 10 businesses decided to not exist anymore, eight of them, it's because the owner decided, I don't want to do this anymore. I heard flipping houses is easier. I heard uh, crypto is easier. I like literally they'll just decide to do something else. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that to me is it's almost like, hey, let's build this thing in a way that doesn't have to be hard. Now, I will say this too. I think that every person on earth has a gift. 
And I think their gift is found in the thing that they find easy that other people find hard. Mm. And I think if you honor that and say, I'm allowed to not do things that are hard because I earned the money. Like this is what's funny, but you made the money and you get to redeploy that money in hiring somebody else. You're actually allowed to say, I don't want to clean my house anymore. Right. And that is okay. Right. Where I'm no longer ever stepping inside of mm. a Home Depot. Mm. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to give yourself that gift. And most business owners are so um, broken in their the mindset. Thing. It is, man. Yeah. They're just like, no, this is how it has to be done. Mm -hmm. I could never feel good. Well, what, what if I... What if I never did that and somebody bought the wrong thing? Perfect. There's an opportunity. You should lean into that. Why does that give you so much anxiety? So this is about really like pain aversion more than anything, because the thing, the case you're making is that people, the thing that kills businesses is they quit because they've basically created a personalized torture device for themselves that yep. they live inside of and want to get out of. And it's comfortable for them. And right. they're not actually doing the thing that's uncomfortable. That's my thing. A lot of people will keep doing things that they hate doing, but it's not scary. Interesting. Yes. My philosophy is tell me what makes you anxious. Lean into that. There's a whole chapter in the book devoted to executive assistants and hiring assistants. And you're like super bullish on this point. And I, I can't remember what the line was, but you basically say a business owner of any size, just about like even a teeny weeny little business. You could you can hire an executive assistant and still get an ROI on that spend. Do you want to just explain why? Yeah, if I started a business today, the first person I'm hiring is executive assistant. Day one, I borrow the money, I go to the bank, get a really hundred percent. Day one, if you have the skill to sell, so I have the skill to sell and deliver whatever I'm going to sell, like a business consulting or a sell houses. My my day should be spent twenty four seven dialing for dollars, talking to home buyers, selling homes and then delivering those homes. Anything that's in my calendar that doesn't look like that, I should not do. Right. And every hour I dedicate myself to doing something that doesn't look like that, talking to home buyers, managing the project, is stopping me from being able to do those things. And when I look at the ROI of that time invested, the, see most, most home builders, they just stop. They sell a couple of houses. I know the stats, man. Yeah. Most people don't make a lot of money selling homes because they only do a couple homes a year. Right. Because they get busy doing stuff that don't make the money. Mm -hmm. Okay. So why can't you get an executive assistant? Because you're actually scared if you get your time back, you have to lean into the things that make you uncomfortable. Interesting. Do more sales. Learn how to manage more projects. Have more more business. What do you what do you think is the have you thought about the profile of a good assistant? Is there advice you could give someone around what you're looking for in terms of core competencies, skill sets? What kind of weaknesses might they have too? Like I don't know if you use disk or you use I widget or you use whatever. Yeah. What just in Yeah, I mean, strokes. I have a whole chapter called the test first hiring method. I think it's chapter seven in my book. And I talk about profile assessments. Yeah. For an assistant specifically, I like the Colby A assessment. Okay. And it's got four dimensions, you know, quick start, follow through, uh, fact finder, et cetera. Um, what I would recommend people is hire somebody who's opposite to you. So there isn't a one size fits all. No. It depends on your- hire the, mm. uh, I'm like this, find somebody. It's It's gotta be- Okay. My assistant temperamental is, is not, she always says it. She goes, I, I mean, she literally said this last week. She goes, I don't think I'm that different than you. I know you're not different than me, but your, your, um, follow through game is a lot. You know what I mean? Like there's just the, 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 uh, the they compliment you, yeah. right? The biggest mistake you do is hire somebody just like you. Mm -hmm. Cause I like them mm -hmm. and they'd be fun to hang around sure. with. Okay. Yeah. They're fun to hang around with, but nobody's getting any work done. Mm -hmm. So you're looking for, uh, you're looking for another piece of your puzzle and they're the opposite. Know, yeah. If you're okay. young, hire somebody old. So I really, yes. That's I want, interesting. Dude, I will tell you, I love, I've had several assistants over the years. Um, if I can find somebody that's nurturing and takes care of me, yeah, that person is a beautiful assistant. Somebody that literally wants to, Benji, wants to see you thrive. Mm -hmm. Benji, how you feeling today? Mm -hmm. Do you need time to, to do this, this, and this? You know, did you get this done? I'll take care of it. Like somebody that is proactively looking out for you and and because you're just a go, go, go kind of person that's detailed oriented. You may not be detailed oriented. Mm -hmm. That opposite, if that's you, 
is one of the most beautiful relationships. And, and honestly, at scale, if you look at all the top CEOs in the world, they all have world-class executive assistants. They, they, they do. The hundred percent they do. Yes. But, but in this more entrepreneurial sort of blue collar space, yeah. I think, I think they have a it's, hard time getting, I think it's an ego thing. They don't want to come off as arrogant or overly yeah. important. They're yeah. quite humble. I mean, yeah, I, like, I know our listeners, I know. right? Give them like, a different name. Call them something different. Yeah. Call them an intern, call them an office manager, call them whatever. Mm -hmm. Just have them do that stuff. Mm -hmm. Give them a different name. I get that. Right. So, okay. We got five minutes left. Quick, a really quick hit question. Then I got a longer question that I want to wrap on. Um, uh, the four time hacks, uh, $50 magic pill. They're so good. Sync your meetings with repeat agenda, yeah. the definition of done and the one, three, one rule. Just quick fire on those. So the 50 to fix it. Is that what I called it in the book? Uh, $50 magic pill. Okay. Is what the you called $50 it. magic pill. A lot of people have renamed it the 50 to fix it because it sounds cooler. But the $50 magic pill is, is literally empowering your team that mm -hmm. if they can solve a problem for less than $50, they're, they've got permission to do that. Okay. What a crazy idea. Push the decision making, the critical here's thinking the, down the org chart. Here's the part that's going to give people, you know, hives that they need to understand. They can make the decision, but they got to tell you that they spent the money. That's my only rule. Fine. Okay. And, the, and I'll give you a next level version of this. 50 individual contributor, 500 leaders, 5,000 managers, sure. and then 50,000. The number's executive. totally arbitrary. It depends yeah. on the scale of problem. Yeah, but I with. just, as general rule of thumb, I go 50, 500, 5,000, 50,000 for my C-level executive. You employee. have the right to make this problem go away yeah. for up to $50 or up to $1,000 or, or up 5000, to $5,000 yeah. as long as you tell me a week you later. But I don't want to hear about, I don't need to, I don't want to, no, don't distract me with it. You are empowered to make a decision okay. to improve. Okay. A problem. $50 magic pill. Yep. Sync meetings with repeat agenda. Yeah. So I think that what we're trying to create in our business is rhythms, right? So for Ritualistic. Example, yes. Ritualistic. So strategic planning, weekly meetings, et cetera. So I have a daily stand up with my assistant. It follows the same five bullet points. Every me, I just had it about an hour ago. Mm -hmm. It never deviates. Zero. It's not like I get on and be like, hey, what do you want to talk about? Never, ever, ever. It starts with my list. It goes to my calendar. It goes to my inbox. It goes to the past meetings. And it goes to project updates. Always rhythms. And I think that philosophy of a repeat agenda process is missed for most small business owners. Mm -hmm. And that's the where they actually get the freedom from. What's the definition of done? So this is a great one. I always, I think when we communicate as leaders, that's the biggest problem is we need to communicate what we think a de the definition of done is. So instead of telling you what to do, okay? So I was just talking to my, my other videographer, Lowen, and he's working on a, a new vlog series. I could sit there and tell him like, here's what the vlog has to do. Here's what the vlog has to do. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you gotta do all these things. Or I just say, your goal is to create a banger video once a week that people love and engage with. That's the definition of done. The definition of done is describing the outcome when it's done, staying there, don't get involved in the details, coach the person at that spot, ask them if they need help or resources, but do not get in the habit of telling people what to do because you're taking away their ability to actually support you. You're delegating the outcomes, not the outcomes, steps. Outcomes, not the tasks, yeah. Uh, the one, three, one rule. It's a huge one. This one will change for any business owner. It, it, it'll change the game for any business owner. The one, three, run rule states that anytime somebody comes to you with a problem, you ask them, what's the one specific problem they have an issue with? Because sometimes they'll have 14. So what's the one thing we're talking about today? What's the three options you've considered? And what's your one recommendation? Right. So Benji, if the cameras blew up and your podcast and you're like, you came to me and said, man, our cameras keep blowing up. I go, cool. What's your one, three, one? Right. I'd be like, I'd, you know, have a backup camera here. I'd know the phone we number for this person, blah, blah, blah. Hire yeah. this person. I go, cool. Well, of those three, which one do you want to do? I want to do option X. Sounds great, Benji. Let's yeah. do that. But you're outsourcing the critical thinking to someone else. And honestly, 90% of the time, I just go, sounds awesome. Let's do that. Okay. And over time, guess what? You stop coming to me with problems. So are you a sports guy? Yeah. You watch, you watch football? Oh, I love a little I'm bit. Not a sports guy. Sorry. Okay, I, I well, mean, it doesn't matter. You're gonna get the analogy. Okay. okay. I'm a sports guy. Yeah. NFL particular. I love watching quarterbacks, especially in their first year, right after the draft. Right. So they've come out. They're a first round draft pick. Maybe they were first overall. Whatever. What you'll see is this massive amount of variance between who the scouts pick and who's actually successful. So every single season, you'll see 
you know, first round picks who are out of the league a couple years later because they just couldn't hack it. You see people in the seventh round who are now winning playoff games like Brock Purdy. Like we, it's, it, there's a huge amount, there's a huge variance between where people get picked and how they do long term. When you listen to scouts, you listen to journalists, you listen to people that know sports, one thing they talk about with quarterbacks in particular is this idea of information processing. Can they read defenses? Can they, can they create a play out of structure when it breaks down? Can they anticipate when the wide receiver is going to be open before they get open? The parallels to entrepreneurship here should be pretty obvious, right? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to information processing, here's the question. Is that something that people can get better at? Or is it something that we just have or don't have? And if it is something that we can get better at, what have you found effective in your career at getting better at handling that complexity, making quick decisions and just overall information processing. Yeah. So a, yes, people can get better at it. Our, our minds are not fixed. So growth mindset and myelin regeneration, like this is science, neuroscience. Um, the way you get better at it is making decisions. Okay. So action creates awareness and, and knowledge, right? So that being said, one of my favorite books that talks about strategic thinking, especially around like multiple systems and designs is called The Goal. Mm. One of three books that Jeff Bezos recommends that everybody on his team reads, okay? Jeff Bezos from Amazon, okay? Eliu Goldratt is his name that mm -hmm. wrote the book. It's a blue book called The Goal. And it's a parable about a manufacturer. But what I love about it, I make all my executives read it, is it teaches them how to think about the play. See, some people have never understood what is the goal well mm -hmm. the goal is not to always make the best decision it's about making the right decision now for a long-term strategy mm -hmm. so i think some people that have always been stuck in this individual contributor level where they just do the thing they tell somebody tells them what to do and they do it they never practice that muscle mm -hmm. but understanding how plays like as you explain it for somebody to explain like here's what happens when a play happens and these are your option sets right and you can run through these simulation scenarios I think that's a muscle people can for sure build. We can get better at it 100%. over time. Yeah. I think we're at time. Uh, let's wrap with this, this quick one. Uh, what do you know now, however many years later, that you wish you knew back then when you're a kid struggling, uh, going through what you were going through? What has become abundantly clear to you at this present day that you wish you knew back then? Yeah, the, the big thing I wish I could, you know, if I had to go back and talk to my younger self would be that the goal of you know living life well lived is becoming the best version of yourself right i like to think of it as become the person you needed most in your darkest days i think it's a good frame for people to understand what does that look like just become that person the person you would have listened to etc and then share that person with the world mm -hmm. and if your world are your kids or your community or your team or the internet through social media I really think that the moment that I understood this, that my job was to wake up every day to become the best version of me and share that person with the world, that all of a sudden everything else became fun because it was supporting that. But it that was the purpose, not the other stuff. I gave too much importance to the other stuff, not realizing that this is the whole point. Amazing wisdom. Thank you for your time, Dan. It's an honor, Benji. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for watching this episode of Contractor Evolution. If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.